0: Good morning, everyone. Here we are for our second edition of The Lion's Den, Estate Planning 101. And with me again today is Greg Raby and Brooke Halsey. Uh, Greg is a principal with Wellspring Associates Group, and Brooke is the principal with Brooke Halsey Law Firm. Greg, let's kick it off with you and tell us what's going on on Capitol Hill.
1: Wow, that's a, that's a, <laughs> a pretty broad question, Todd, but, but yeah, a lot you know, uh, I know we're focused on talking, you know, uh, focusing on uh, wealth transfer, estate planning, asset protection, and those types of things. And so the House Ways and Means Committee has, uh, you know, put together a proposal that, um, that is pretty specific. And it's, it's really what we thought might happen. And that is they are proposing that the uh, exemption, whether that's used at lifetime or at death, uh, be reduced or sunset early rather than sunsetting December 31st, 2025. The proposal is to have it sunset at the end of this year. So, starting in January of 2022, it looks like there's a really good chance that the exemption could go down and go down significantly. We don't know to exactly what extent, but it would be in the six million dollar range. It's 11. Million seven hundred thousand right now, and so there are a lot of folks scrambling to, uh, you know, make lifetime gifts, and typically uh, not to, you know, directly to, you know, to the beneficiaries, and so. And Greg, can I interrupt for a second? So that's that's per
0: individual, correct? That's so per if you're individual. A couple, then it gets reduced from roughly twenty three uh, down to roughly twelve. That's right,
1: and. Todd and Brooke, the second thing that um, I know Brooke's aware of this is the, and something we were a little surprised that was in the proposal is to change the grantor trust tax status. And so many folks out there, I think listening to this podcast have already created trust during their lifetime, living trust or intervivos trust that are irrevocable. And the tax status of those trusts is, is could change. The proposal is to have those uh the tax status of those trusts change. And so it'd be it would behoove folks that have already created trust to talk to their advisors about what that means, because that change would not happen at the end of the year. That change would happen most likely upon quote enactment. We thought enactment could be as early as the end of this month, but because of bottlenecks, thank goodness, bottlenecks in Congress, I know that's uh, counterintuitive, but we're really <laughs> in time to get some planning done. And so maybe it'll be November, or even early December. But, but just keep in mind, for those who do have trust, uh, the game is changing significantly, uh, potentially, uh, on the taxation of those trusts. And so now's a really good time to Uh, look to see what, uh, you know, what opportunities folks can take advantage of. So, Todd, those are the two main things. I mean, we've talked about income tax and corporate tax brackets going up, capital gains tax, uh, carried interest on private uh, investments. So there's an awful lot in this bill that's being proposed. But in our world, uh, specifically, two of the biggest needle movers are the you know, or the uh, lifetime exemption and the grantor uh, trust benefits that could be changing.
0: So another question for you um, on the irrevocable life insurance side, um, those trusts, what kind of impact would it have on gifting uh, to those trusts to fund life insurance policies for, for affluent families?
1: Uh, that's a great question, Todd, and it's a, you know it's a, there there are some complexities that we won't go into today, but it could impact those. I mean, it's it's where you know instead of using a scalpel to look at uh, how to reconfigure the the uh, grantor trust taxation, they're using a sledgehammer, mm-hmm. and it does impact life insurance trusts. And so we've had many clients, even since this proposal have come out, that have pre-funded. Uh, their life insurance trusts for at least several years. Uh, many have, have pre-funded those trusts actually to last the lifetime of the policy. But even if we could buy ourselves two or three years, it would give Congress time to figure, if this passes, give Congress time to figure out how they threw the life insurance trusts under the bus. And that was not, you know, I'm, I'm certain that is not their intention. And so um, it needs to be addressed because it could cause that trust to uh, you know, all that death benefit to be pulled back into the taxable estate of the grand tour.
2: If I can yeah. jump, in. Ahead, I can jump in with the life insurance, that's a, a very key because, from our perspective, life insurance is outside of a trust and it hedges the bets. Many times, families are using life insurance to bridge the gap when administration of a trust is going to be complicated, take time uh the life insurance then passes also tax-free and quickly that's going to impact how these trusts are administrated and that hedge factor is not going to be there so people are going to have to prepare for you know a a lot of complication when somebody dies
0: so yeah this is kind of like uh you're in the kitchen making soup and uh, chopping up all the vegetables and getting it in the, the pot. And we don't, we don't know how it's going to turn out <laughs> at this point. We really have no idea. Right. Right. Brooke?
2: Yeah. Uh, one thing's for sure. The, from our perspective, the government's trying to attach uh passed on wealth in any way they can to bring that back in uh, bracket, bring it back into the economy and whatnot. And this, You know, trust administration seems to be a target right now.
0: All right. Well, what I'd like to do now is share my screen because we have a little case study here that we're we're working on. And really, we want to keep this um, as simple as possible because it's it's a complex case study. What we're really going to do is show you in this particular instance, this individual, by my calculations, after two generations, uh, 48 percent of their estate is gone in taxes. It's a pretty substantial number, 48%. So here you can see the various estate taxes are being taken out of the calculation. So this roughly almost sixty million dollar estate gets whittled down by twenty-seven million. Big number. Greg's any Greg, any comment on that?
1: No, it's just the uh it's the nature of leaving assets to the next generation and the generation after that, they you know, there is tax erosion at, at each generation if your state
2: is large enough. Brooke, any any observation? Well, I think, you know, this is what I was just talking about earlier. The government's trying to, to get money back into uh, the economy through and for their purposes, through the backs of past, this passed on wealth. I mean, this is $27 million is a, a huge ticket if you don't do anything and just sit back and let it pass. So exactly. It, it's uh, important to realize you have to plan for this and keep up with the information that's happening.
0: Exactly. So the the next page, Greg, I'll let you comment um, because this is where your group has done some work and has come up with some suggestions, but it's a substantially better outcome with some basic planning changes.
1: Yeah, sure, Todd. And I know this is something that Brooke and I have talked about uh, on a number of occasions. And again, without getting too deep into this particular but and this is a real life case study is that at the first death that, that top line is the really uh, the first spouse to pass away. And then the funnel is the tax funnel. And as you all probably know, um, Back in the 80s, there was a shift in tax law to where, as long as you're leaving your assets to a legally married spouse, you're deferring the estate taxes, which are at a flat 40 percent. And so, this is an example in this case study of the, say, the husband passing away, and the the light blue is the is is testamentary planning, which means uh, that planning is built into the revocable trust. So when someone passes away, in this case, we had recommended creating two trusts upon his demise. And in the first trust, he would leave what's available of the lifetime exemption of what he has left. Um, Actually, that's the sunset, 6.2 million. That's what we think. We're going to be pretty close on that number. And then everything above and beyond that to leave in a marital trust for his surviving spouse And there is a fair amount of asset protection that these trusts afford the surviving spouse. And as Brooke has pointed out in the past, there's some probate savings as well when the surviving spouse passes away and leaves those assets
2: to the children or to the next generation. Um, But the green number. Sorry, just to add in that, um, we were doing what they call an AB or Q-tip. We have a uh, a trust that splits into two, one becoming irrevocable when a spouse dies. And that's, that's what you're depicting here is where one becomes irrevocable, stays there with the spouse that has passed. The, um, the, the second trust is the joint trust that continues on till the remaining spouse passes. So that's how that works. And so any green
1: number is, is positive, which means it's not taxed in anyone's estate for multiple generations. What this client, I think, is interested in, and you know, someone with this net worth probably ought to be interested in, is that family trust can be created uh, now. They don't have to wait until they pass away. And that's where we're encouraging folks to consider gifting. You may have heard it called a SLAT, a Spousal Lifetime Access Trust. Uh, some folks have an idea that they, if they gifted significantly, to move assets outside of their taxable estate that it has to be just for the benefit of the children or the grandchildren or both. But the fact of the matter is many folks create these trusts now where their spouse is a beneficiary during their lifetime. We don't envision the spouse taking assets out, but it would be there. Those assets would be available for health support, maintenance, and education uh, if that spouse or either spouse needed those assets for that matter. And so, you know, within a state this size or even half this size to create a trust currently during life, uh, I think, Brooke, is I know what you've recommended in the past. Uh, and I really like what Brooke focuses on because he knows, he and, and I've seen him at work, He's, he goes, he starts the discovery process of trying to figure out how much is enough or what do you want to do? And when you create these types of trust during life or even at death, those other questions could be addressed. You know, who controls and how much should go to the children, how much maybe should go to charity. But to potentially create that family trust now is something that could really benefit the family for multiple generations and significant estate tax savings. Brooke, have you seen this used
2: like that? Yes. What? And I think what I look at it as the softer side, not the hard money, you know, numbers crunch. But what uh, I've seen with these family trusts is that it's an opportunity to bring in the next generation, which, you know, we've all talked about through creating that family trust. You start getting family involved, family management, teaching the children, grandchildren how the money's made, how it's kept and, you know, how you keep the trust updated with the tax law so it doesn't go out. And uh, it's a very useful tool during the grantor's lifetime to get started so that it continues on.
0: Yeah, I wanted to point out a couple of things here as well that were new to me that um, Greg shared with with Brooke and I. And one of them is this Generation Skip Trust that was established in 1973 by grandparents of the, the current beneficiary. And Greg's idea was to use this to fund a life insurance policy as we were discussing earlier, a, a life insurance passes without taxation to the next generation. And th- that policy could be used for some of the estate tax liability when both the husband and the wife have passed away. So that was something unique that I had not encountered before in terms of using that asset in a, in a, in a way that bas- basically leverages the value of that trust into a significant amount of life insurance. The other thing that I found really interesting was the use of this CRUT, this Lifetime Charitable Trust, where the client has expressed an interest in getting rid of some of his underperforming real estate. And by putting it into this CRUT, it could generate significant tax savings and an income stream for them. Maybe you could touch a little bit on that, Greg, and and explain a little bit more how that works.
1: Sure. And when Todd and Brooke and I were going through the discovery process with this particular family, what was brought up to us and uncovered, you know, just there's a significant amount of real estate and some of that real estate, most of it has a very low tax basis. And they've been reluctant to sell that real estate just because of the significant uh, capital gains income tax they would have to pay. Yet they feel like they're fairly wealthy, but don't have a lot of income. And and so every and, and they also are charitably inclined. So all that kind of came together, you know. Instead of having to do a ten thirty one into more real estate to avoid, uh, you know, uh, or defer income taxes, this is a mechanism that uh, maybe can meet a number of their goals by getting a tax write off by contributing some of that real estate to a, a, a charitable remainder trust, and then have the trustee sell the real estate. And then at that time, there's no taxation. And then uh, the husband and the wife or the husband or the wife can be income beneficiaries during their lifetime. And at the the first death or the second death, depending on their choosing, then those assets could go to the charity that they want to endow anyway. So it was a way to benefit the uh, client during their life and still meet their goals of what they had wanted to do and still want to do, you know, when they pass away. And there's a number of structures like this. And the, there's nothing I don't think broken the new tax proposals that impact this type of philanthropic planning. And it can be really, really significant.
2: Right. I, I think I don't I don't see them attacking this type of tool. The thing that it brings to mind here, what we see a lot in, in this area here in California, and particularly the Bay Area people will be property rich and cash poor and you know especially later in life you've got this pro- these properties you've held on to them and all your money's tied up in you know the property and the income coming off the property may not be what you want to live your life in your last years so what happens is they get a steady income off of this charitable trust and it allows them to leverage that that property in a way that they don't have any taxable consequence like they would if they had sold it. So it's very commonly used around here, especially with universities, Um, you know, their alma mater, they'll they'll set up a a crut for, you know, it to go to them and it passes after and they get the income off it during their life. So it's a very useful tool.
0: Yeah, there's one other aspect here that I think is really, really valuable. And that's um, the family foundation. That's this next step in the process. And the the benefit here is that the wishes of the family that created the wealth uh, can be carried through in in a legacy form and actual children, grandchildren, et cetera, can sit on this foundation and not only know what values created that wealth and and pass along those donations to, to charities every year, but more importantly... They learn how to manage money properly, and and so maybe Greg, could
1: you expand on that a little bit? And
0: I'll ask you to chime in too, um, Brooke.
1: Well, I've I've witnessed it over the last three decades. Um, mm-hmm. How these are such useful tools for the things that Brooke and Todd focus on, which is helping families not just in the, you know, tactics, but in some of these soft issues. I know personally. Uh, We have a foundation and it's an opportunity for us to mentor the children on not just investing, but, uh, you know, philanthropic strategic thinking. And so it's really we've seen it, especially with families that have this type of wealth. It could be used as a tool to really advance the family legacy and just some, um, you know, transferring that wealth philosophy In a way that's hard to do when you're just, you know, when you don't have something concrete to, you know, focus on with the family. So it's, it can be a wonderful bringing together of of family members. Absolutely. Brooke, any other comments?
2: Well, I mean, books have been written about how to, how to run the family wealth, right? I, I, I often find, Todd, uh, I feel like a probation officer when I'm trustee for these types of tests and I'm trying to be the wall between the kids and their money. You know, the new philosophy we have right now is that bring the kids in. It used to be, don't tell them how much there is because they won't want to work, right? And that has changed with what we've all talked about, the shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves, where the children of the original wealth builders uh keep it going but the the grandchildren then have no idea how to keep the wealth moving going forward and uh it goes out the door and the foundation teaches them the power of the money uh what uh we're working with one family in particular they give a certain amount to each child they pick an organization they come back to the family meeting and tell them why then they come back a year later and give a report of what the money did. And um, that teaches them the value of the money and teaches them about how it's made, how it's given and and management of it, so.
0: Wrapping up here, what we have is instead of a 48% reduction, you can see that this is roughly about a 10% reduction. That's a significant difference in my mind, as well as all the other benefits of legacy planning, et cetera, that that we've discussed. So with that, I want to thank you, Greg, again, for your input, and Brooke, you as well. This is it for our second episode of The Lion's Den. Thank you for listening.
2: Thank you, Kyle. Pleasure to be here.
0: Pleasure to
1: be here. Thanks.
3: Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions. Lion Wealth Management is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with High Tower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lion Wealth Management and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Lion Wealth Management and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.